Are you an accredited investor looking for a new opportunity to generate passive income and build the retirement of your dreams? Then elevate your investment game with Viking Capital, where wealth meets wisdom. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, Viking Capital can help guide you towards financial freedom through passive real estate investing. With strong and transparent underwriting, Viking identifies low-risk opportunities with the goal of preserving investor capital and maximizing long-term growth potential. And their accessible and responsive investor relations team will help you understand how each investment will impact your unique financial goals. With $800 million in assets acquired, more than $230 million in equity raised, and more than 5,000 units under management, Viking Capital is your path to early retirement. To learn about Viking Capital's latest investment opportunity, which is available for you right now, visit go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best. That's go.vikingcapllc.com forward slash best to get started today. Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, Promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. I genuinely believe that 80, 90% of it is about mindset. So focus on getting your mindset right and the rest will follow. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel and I'm with today's guest, Warren Dresner. Warren is joining us from Miami, Florida, he is the founder and managing partner at Equity Yield Group, which focuses on Class A and Class B multifamily. Warren's portfolio consists of being an LP on 2,500 units and a GP on 2,000 units, and he has $200 million of assets under management. Warren, thank you for joining us, and how are you today? Thanks, Ash. I am great. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for asking. Warren, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Sure. So my background, I'm from Australia. I grew up in Australia. I've been in the US about four years on this stint. Previously, I lived in Chicago for a couple of years as well in my 20s. I got a background in finance. I had a long career in the corporate world. I kind of followed that traditional path that a lot of people do. Go to university, get good grades, get a good job. I did all that for a long time. 
And it was probably only around the time I turned 40 that I started to think, am I on the right path? Am I enjoying this path that I'm on? And at that point in time, I started to think more about passive income, building cash flow, and ultimately financial freedom. So I've gone through a bunch of phases. I looked at single family homes in real estate. I started investing passively in multifamily syndications. I still do that, but now I'm also an active sponsor of multifamily syndications. And that's what I love doing. Warren, what did you do in finance? I did a little bit of banking and then also insurance broking. I focused on a a part of insurance called reinsurance, which is a little bit different, unique. Isn't it ironic that people in the finance industry don't know about making money in real estate? I know. It's kind of crazy. They know a lot about making money for the banks and the institutions that they work for, but Passive income and passive cash flow, it's just not taught in school. And a lot of people bypass that that whole part of it. And what was it that exposed you to this? Were you getting burnt out and just looking for a better solution? Maybe I was getting burnt out. I don't know. I think I suffered from that golden handcuffs thing. I kept getting promoted. I was earning great money. Life seemed good. But I just started to question. I remember one time I was thinking to myself, If I wanted to leave my job, not saying I did, but if I wanted to, I couldn't because I had very high expenses and I didn't have any other sources of income. So kind of like a light bulb went off in my head thinking things are great, but if I want to change one day, I've got no options, no flexibility. So that was something that really changed my mindset. Yeah, I did that for 15 years as well. I was in the corporate world. And were you one of those people like me that lied to yourself and If people asked, you would say, yeah, I love my job. I think I genuinely loved my job. Okay. But I had these, what are those things called? Blinders. Blinders, yeah. I don't think I thought enough about the life that I wanted to build. I just went with the flow. Yeah, you're on the plan where you retire close to 60 and you live off your fixed income. Exactly. Yeah. One thing I tell people is anyone who says, I love my job, Ask them if they won the lottery tomorrow, would they go back to their job because they love it so much or is it just a necessary evil, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So how many years ago was it that you started investing as an LP? In syndications, it was four years ago. Okay. Explain to me this meteoric rise, $200 million of assets under management, zero, four years ago. So- I started as an LP, like I mentioned. I had been investing in real estate for 10 years before that, and it was all in Australia. And in Australia, single family homes? Sorry. Single family homes in Australia. There's no cash flow in Australia. So I got into it for the tax benefits that real estate brings. There was capital gains there, which you could say I was in the right place at the right time. It's a bit of luck. But I had a lot of capital to invest. So I. Looked at single family homes here in the US, but realized it's very difficult to scale. So I discovered this thing called multifamily syndications. And I realized if I put some of this capital to work, I'll get cash flow back. I can reinvest that cash flow, start to snowball things. In a couple of years' time, I'll have some nice passive income that I can fall back on. So I just was regularly investing. Like every couple of months, I'd find another syndication, put money in, reinvest the distributions. And I started to build up a nice snowball. I was really enjoying it and I wanted to learn more. So I signed up for some underwriting courses. I joined a couple of mentorship groups. 
not just for the education, but also the network. I really wanted to surround myself with people, similar mindset who were doing the same kind of things. And in one of those mentorship groups, I met my partner. We were both interested in the same types of deals, those A and B class deals in bigger towns and cities. And we underwrote probably for a year before we found our first deal. But eventually, once that first deal happened, the second one happened, the third one happened. And because they're newer assets, A and B class deals, they tend to be more expensive. So that assets under management number is a big number, even though it only represents four deals. What was your first syndication that you did on your own? The first one, I was a a co-sponsor. So it was someone else's deal. I helped them with some of the underwriting, the due diligence, a little bit of capital raising, earnest money. So that one was a deal in Jacksonville, North Carolina. I wouldn't say that was my deal. It was a great learning opportunity. And I got to work with some of my friends that I had built up in the network. That was a C-class deal. 236 units. I think it was built in 72 or 73. But the first deal that my partner and I did in our company now was an A-class deal in Sarasota, Florida. Warren, on the first deal that you just mentioned here, how did you work your way into the GP? Was it because you brought capital? The first one as a co-sponsor? Yes. No, I was ruthless about networking in the beginning. So I was trying to meet everybody in these groups trying to offer value where I could. I like the underwriting side. I'm good with spreadsheets. So there was one guy in the group. He lives close to me in in Miami, Florida, and he was looking for deals. And we were working together every now and then, not in a formal way, just kind of informally helping each other out. And he won a deal and he came to me and said, do you want to have a look at it? And I started to look at it and help him with the underwriting. I put in some risk capital, some earnest money, and that was definitely value to be able to get into the GP team. And then I did try and raise capital for it as well. I wasn't very good at raising capital at that point. But I guess what got me into the team at that point in time was that I could do lots of little things and they all added up to some value for the sponsor. A lot of people can do a lots of little things. What was it about you that this co-sponsor came to you versus somebody else? You could phrase it in terms of advice For somebody that wants to be in your shoes back in that time, they know that they want to co-sponsor a deal. Maybe they're not confident. They don't know how to do it. They don't believe that they can do it. I think it's a good question. And you're downplaying yourself. yourself. You're saying, oh, I did this, this, and this, and he got me in. There's a lot more to that, man. (laughs) The first thing that came to my mind when you asked the question was trust. He trusted me. And if I think about why he trusted me and how that can help others who are in a similar position today, I think it's because I invested a lot of time in building a relationship with him and with others. I demonstrated consistent behavior, a lot of discipline. I was underwriting deals regularly. And when I was trying to build my network, I wasn't looking for something in return. I was genuinely trying to build relationships. And I wanted to make friends, honestly. When I joined that group, I wanted to meet people that I could build relationships and form relationships that would last 10, 20 years, a lifetime. So I think that was probably the biggest thing. I was networking well, making some great connections, but I wasn't looking for anything in return. I was really just trying to build up a group of people that I would enjoy hanging around for years to come. Yeah, very important what you just said. Best ever listeners, let's recap that. Trust, giving his time with no expectations of anything in return, and enormous discipline. 
Very important, very underrated. Thank you for breaking that down for us. You also mentioned earlier that you were not very good at raising capital. What's changed? Time and effort. I felt like I had a limited amount of time to devote, and I spent all of that time on the underwriting side and the acquisition side of the business. So I spent a lot of time meeting with brokers, trying to build relationships with brokers. And honestly, I didn't put any time and effort into marketing, into social media, into trying to tell people what we were doing. So what changed is that I got to a point where I realized raising capital is an important part of the business. And it's something that I have to devote time to. And I learned to leverage other people's time as well. So we got to a stage where we could actually hire some people or hire a couple of VAs. And that definitely helped spread the time. How do VAs help with raising capital or do they help with other parts of the business? With raising capital specifically, we have used a VA to manage our social media accounts. We develop the content. We have our own voice and we know what we want to say, but the VA will manage all of the administration around that. So they can go on the social media platforms and make sure we're posting regularly. They can set up webinars put the presentations together, all of the admin that takes a lot of time, honestly, they help with that tremendously. Yeah. Can we dive into your Sarasota deal? Absolutely. How did you find that? So that was found through a broker. Like I said, we probably looked for deals for about 12 months before that. I was building up relationships with brokers. I'm in Miami, Florida. Sarasota is in the Gulf Coast, just south of Tampa. So I was driving up there regularly, trying to build relationships with brokers. I was actually going to tour a different property and I saw that one pop up in my email the day before. So I called the broker and said, I'm going to be in town. Can I come and have a look at it? And I never thought we'd end up buying that property, but it turns out I was in the right place at the right time and things worked out that way. Warren, how long ago was that? That tour would have happened, say, September 2021. Okay. Not too long Wait, ago. No, no. 2020. 2020. Sorry. Okay. And the market was on fire. How did you land that deal? Because I'm sure there was a lot of eyes on that property. That email didn't just go to you. Mm. So what was it about you that got you that deal? It's a really tricky question. I don't know. I think it's got to be some sort of luck. There were lots of little things that fell into place. I'll give you an example of the luck. And I can't describe this any better than saying it's luck. But the property management company that we had developed a great relationship with is a company called Resprop. They used to be an owner themselves. When they were an owner, they were called a vester. This particular property, the guy that was selling it, the disposition manager for the company that was selling it, used to work at a vester. Resprop, the company that we were working with, were currently managing that property. So all of a sudden, we had connections to the seller. We weren't an unknown quantity totally. We had never bought a property before ourselves, but because of those connections, I think that really helped them to take us seriously. We leveraged that relationship with Resprop. We made sure we had a conversation with the guy that was selling it, that was in charge of selling it beforehand. He knew who we were. And then I think, honestly, we must have been one of the highest bidders. Otherwise, like, why would they ever pick us? Yeah, so that's interesting. You found commonalities and you leveraged your relationships and your network. So I would tell people that instead of luck. <laughs> yeah, we've all got to be lucky, right? I think something else that probably happened, now that I have a bit more experience, we were so disciplined with the broker. We tried to be so professional. We got back to them faster than anybody else as well. So 
I think the broker enjoyed working with us and they even told us that after the transaction. And we've since bought a couple of deals through them again. So they see us as a good buyer, someone that's easy to work with, someone that's professional. And I think we demonstrated all of those attributes at the time as well, which must have counted for something. Can we dive into that for a second? What makes a buyer extra professional when dealing with a broker? Timeliness is one that you mentioned. What else made you guys stand out as being excessively professional? Absolutely timeliness. I think asking good questions, following up all the time. We all get busy and a lot of us say, I'll get back to you tomorrow or I'll get back to you on those answers. And then we just don't or we get delayed. So I guess that falls into the timeliness camp, but it's more than just the time. It's actually doing what you say you're going to do. I think we're flexible as well. We never really dug into any... I'm trying to think of that deal. I don't think they asked us for anything that was out of the ordinary. So it's not like we were giving in on clauses and things like that. Warren, was a lot of your communication through email or phone? It's both. Everything's got to be in writing. But I always actually thought there's a hierarchy in my mind to how you communicate with brokers. At the bottom is email. Everyone's emailing the brokers. It's always better to pick up the phone and talk to them. And then even better than the phone is face-to-face. So... We definitely followed that. And that's like a great lesson in how I started to build relationships with brokers. Start with the email. It's safe. And if you're scared of picking up the phone, you can always start with email, but it'll only get you so far. You have to pick up the phone and start talking to them. And then more so, you have to go and visit the property, do a property tour and see them face to face. And then after that, the other thing I tell people about building relationships with brokers is make offers. Because you can go and see them a hundred times at property tours, but if you never make an offer, they'll just think that you're wasting their time. So it's a bit of a sidebar, but I think you asked about phone and email. It's definitely email at the bottom, then phone, then face-to-face. Yeah. And also let's circle back. Thank you for describing luck. None of this is luck. This is all (laughs) discipline, effort, time. So thank you for being humble and downplaying and attributing this to luck, but There's a lot of good lessons learned here from how you guys interact and how you conduct yourselves. So if you don't mind, can we go back to Sarasota? You shared how you found the deal, how you closed on the deal. Do you remember the numbers on that deal? Sure. What was the purchase price number of units? It's 148 units and the purchase price was $26 million. And you guys had never raised capital for your own deals before. We hadn't, but I'll, tell you two things that we did do in preparation for having to raise capital. One, we had built a network of co-sponsors. So we knew that we couldn't raise all the capital, but we knew a lot of people who could help. And two, we started building relationships with institutional capital 12 months before that. And there were a few reasons for that. One, both my background and my partner's background was conducive to talking to institutions. We kind of knew that world. My partner came from the construction side. And when you're taking out construction loans, you can get complex loans and different kind of equity partners. But we knew because we were looking in better quality markets and newer assets, we were going to need to raise a lot of money. On that deal, I think we needed about $11 million. So we had started to build a relationship with co-sponsors who could potentially come in and help us. And we had relationships with institutional partners who could potentially come in and help us. On that deal... We ended up bringing in an institutional partner who brought $6.5 million. And then we had to raise around 
four or five million dollars ourselves. And we managed to do that with a team of co-sponsors as well. We'll get back to the show with a first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. It's no secret that everyone is trying to find the recession-proof investment right now. What if you could invest in one of the most recession-resilient asset classes of the last 25 years with one of the best teams in the U.S.? Self-storage is that asset class, and Reliant Real Estate Management is that team. Reliant Real Estate Management is the 17th largest storage operator. They have sold over $1 billion in self-storage assets and have lost no investor principal with the average project-level IRR of 33% in the last three years. Right now, you can be one of the first to invest in their next fund at ReliantFund4.com. Fund 4 is a $100 million equity fund with seven properties already identified to close before the end of 2022. If you're an accredited investor, visit ReliantFund4.com to download the investment summary and schedule a call with Reliance Experience Team. That's ReliantFund4.com, R-E-L-I-A-N-T-F-U-N-D-F-O-U-R.com. I'd like to introduce you to my good friends over at PassiveInvesting.com, a private equity real estate firm based out of the Carolinas. PassiveInvesting.com makes it easy for you to start investing in real estate. They focus on acquiring institutional quality apartments and self-storage facilities with private accredited investor funds. They also have a real estate debt fund that offers hard money loans to local fix and flippers across the U.S., which currently has a 0% default rate. With a portfolio of over $700 million in assets and controlling over $250 million in equity, they know how to secure the best deals and how to avoid the red flags. If you are interested in learning more, please reach out directly to PassiveInvesting.com and request the free Passive Investing investor guide that outlines the seven red flags for passive apartment and self-storage investing. Visit PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags to download that PDF now. That's PassiveInvesting.com forward slash red flags. I applaud you for going big on your first deal. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't, people have asked like, was it scary? What was going through your mind at the time? But not much, to be honest. I think it's just as much effort buying a $26 million asset as it is buying a $10 million asset. Sure, the numbers are bigger, but we love the strategy of buying in strong markets and newer assets. The result is that the asset price is always going to be higher. So it's not something we worried about too much. Warren, you raised $11 million for a $26 million property. Why was the raise so high? Was it I can't CapEx? Do the math at the moment. Yeah, I'm trying to think. There was CapEx, there were closing costs. So the total project cost might have been 30, 32 million. And then we raised about 11 which was... Okay, so about a third. Yeah, yeah I think okay, that. Okay, so this property required renovations as well. It did, okay. absolutely. And how is this property positioned right now? Have you been able to raise rents in two years? Absolutely. It's been ridiculous. That part of Florida has grown so fast. We've raised rents. We're probably three or $400 above pro forma after 18 months of operations. So it's performed great, so much so that we've already refinanced we're in fixed debt on that one. Perfect. Yeah. And then $6.5 million brought by the institution. The rest of the money was that raised through you guys as well as co-sponsors? Correct. Can we dive into, if I'm a co-sponsor on that deal, what do I get for that? For bringing in capital, maybe helping you underwrite stuff, but I don't think you need help with that. There are so many aspects of the deal and we're always open to help because we don't, think that we can do everything the best. So in terms of what people can bring, it, it's more than just capital. And we needed risk capital. We needed earnest money for that deal as well. 
We need help with investor communications, with parts of the asset management. Something could come up like marketing. We need a focus on marketing efforts. That's not something that I've got expertise in, but often when you're working in a team of people, there's someone else who's got a, a bit more capability. So we brought people in for the capital, but they were offering much more than that. What they got in return was equity in the deal. So their managers in the deal. A lot of them, I guess they're getting equity. They get a share of the fees. A lot of them also get experience. And that's what a lot of these co-sponsors are looking for. They want to learn how to do it. And they want to start to get experience actually purchasing these assets. Was there a percentage of the GP that you carved out for capital raising? There was. On that deal, it wasn't concrete, cut in stone, because it's not appropriate to do things that way from the SEC standpoint. But roughly speaking, when we try and allocate the GP, we were allocating around 30% of the GP for capital and around 10% of the GP for risk capital, earnest money and other costs. The answer is it always depends. Sometimes it would be a little higher, sometimes a little lower. So in line with what the industry is doing? I think so. I've noticed these days some of those numbers, people are allocating more of the equity to capital raising because I think it's getting tougher. Leverage is lower on the debt, so the capital raise tends to be bigger. So from what I've seen lately, that 30% is now trending towards 35 or maybe even higher. Interesting. Good to know. Mm. And how long are you going to hold this asset? So this asset, it's an interesting one because it's an A-class deal. It was built in 2016. It's really new and it's beautiful. The thing is the developers did a cheap job on the interiors. So there was a value-add component on the interiors. But because it's so new and it's such a great looking asset with no deferred maintenance, I'd like to hold it as long as possible. Ultimately, we're going to have to pay back the investors. So we probably don't have the freedom to hold it forever. But if we could take out a supplemental loan later on or somehow refinance later, it's something that we wouldn't mind holding for the medium term. Is there a way you can cash out any investors that want to leave and bring in replacement investors at a lower rate of return? I don't know the answer to that, but we've talked about it. <laughs> yeah. Can we recapitalize it somehow? Well, your initial investors took the risk with you, right? Right. Because you didn't know it was going to perform the way that it had. Now, if I'm an investor that says, hey, Warren, look, the Florida market's getting shaky. I'm scared. I want my money out. What if you could agree upon an internal rate of return where they get paid out and then you have this new investor that says, look, I'm just looking for my 8 9% per year return. Happy to give you this as a debt deal. I think it's a great idea. That's something we'd love to explore. I don't know if that 8%, 9% money exists. Yeah, you talked about, like you used the word debt. Maybe it does as some kind of It's It's debt straight instrument. debt so that you don't have to give them a preferred and then a supplemental return. Yeah. It's just borrowing money at a certain percentage, right? That I don't know, man. Some... Listen, I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, something like that would be great. And I don't know. Something we'd have to think about is the rights of the current investors. Yes. Some of them might not want to be bought out, but maybe right. they can stay in the deal. And those that do want to exit can take their money and exit. Yeah, no different than somebody has a life event and they request the money back. As an operator, you do everything you can to try to accommodate that, right? In this case, it's not a life event. It's a want. So something to think about. Yeah, no, it's a good idea. And it's the kind of asset we'd love to hold. So it's something worth exploring.
Yeah, Warren, you've had explosive growth in a very short amount of time. What was one thing that enabled you to scale so quickly? And not the cliche answers, the right people, the partners, maybe something about your mindset, because you don't strike me as somebody who's had a lot of pain points. You seem more methodical Mm -hmm. about how you develop this business. Yeah, there are a number of answers that I could name. We talked about discipline. That's a huge part of it. And trusting the process, just trusting that you're doing the right things, eventually success will come. But I think mindset has been everything. We talked as well about the difference between a small deal and a big deal. Before I started actively investing in syndications, I did actually think to myself, should I start small, like buy a fourplex and then go to an eightplex and a 16? Or should I learn how to buy a hundred unit apartment building? And I went big straight away. And then even within that world, we were buying 20, 30, $40 million assets, not 10 or $15 million assets. And I think that's all about mindset. I realized that it's all about problem solving. It's a puzzle. Taking down one of these deals is a puzzle. And there are always eight different pieces that you need to put the deal together. It just so happens that for a very big deal, those pieces are a little bit different, but it's the same building blocks. And I think I always had that mindset that it's roughly the same amount of work. The numbers are bigger. Maybe the risk is a little bit bigger, but the reward's going to be bigger too. So I think that's probably been the biggest factor of why we're at that amount of assets under management rather than say a third of that. Interesting. And Warren, let's not forget for 10 years, you had single family homes in Australia. Mm -hmm. Imagine you didn't have those and you learned a lot about managing properties and back-end work, tenants, if you didn't have those 10 years of experience, would you still have told yourself to go big, 20, $30 million deals? Or would you have said, listen, start with a couple of duplexes first? This is the same cliche answer. If I could go back, I wish I'd started this earlier. I wish I'd been on this journey 10 years earlier. I don't think it's necessary to gain that experience of changing toilets and dealing with termites or any of that stuff. It gives people confidence maybe, and it gets you familiar with the industry, but I don't think it's necessary at all. Yeah. I love your mindset, man. That's awesome. Warren, give me a tough, not fun lesson that you learned in real estate, whether it's about people, deals, money. Well, I did have a good lesson in the single family world. One of our investments was in a condo. It turned out the condo, the building had structural issues and there was a capital call. So that particular investment, I think we maybe made $2,000 cash flow a year out of it in a good year. And the amount of capital we had to put in was $25,000. So for three or four years, we thought, oh, we've got a nice little investment here. It's giving us a bit of cash flow. But that capital call wiped out 10 years of profit. So that really taught me that real estate's not easy. And if you don't have scale, $25,000 expense can wipe out a lot of progress. So that was one of the lessons that got me thinking bigger about apartments. I think a lot of single family people fail to realize what a roof costs, what an HVAC replacement costs, Mm -hmm. what an underground pipe issue costs. But you you sit back and you think, man, this is awesome. Two grand a year on this property, plus the appreciation. And then one event happens and damn, there it goes. It's crazy. crazy. Thank you for sharing that. Warren, you've given us so much advice, but I'm going to ask you this one more time. What is the best real estate investing advice ever? 
everything comes from mindset. I'd say get your mindset right. For me, I did a lot of Tony Robbins coaching and went to some of those events. I think the content that he puts out is amazing at helping to get your mindset right. He's not the only source. There are lots of other sources out there. But I genuinely believe that 80, 90% of it is about mindset. So focus on getting your mindset right and the rest will follow. Phenomenal advice. Warren, are you ready for the best ever lightning round? Absolutely. Let's go. Warren, what's the best ever book you recently read? I read a cool book recently called Happy Money by a Japanese guy called Ken Honda. It's a little bit different, but it's, it's all about having an abundance mindset, not scarcity, and kind of embrace the process of giving money, not just receiving it. So that was pretty cool. Warren, what's the best ever way you like to give back? I like to give my time. So I love this industry because we help each other. Most people do have that abundance mindset. People help me along the way, and I love to help other wannabe syndicators get into the business. Are real estate people much more helpful than the finance industry? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That was a rhetorical question. (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, man, it's unreal how willing real estate people are just to give away all their knowledge and help each other. Yeah, and syndication in particular. I don't know why. Everyone believes there's enough out there for all of us to be happy. We're not competing with each other. We're out there. We're all winning. Yeah. If you're at the top, you have an abundance mindset, right? Totally. So why not? And that's what made you successful. Warren, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? The best way is probably via our website. So it's equityyieldgroup.com. And you can go on there. You can contact us, sign up for our lists, but that'd be the best way. Warren, what an amazing interview. Thank you for your time today. Coming from the finance world for many years, having those golden handcuffs where it was comfortable just staying there, right? And then pushing yourself and realizing there's ways to make passive income. There's ways to live the life you want. And you've accomplished so much in a very small amount of time, but it's because you've established trust. You've given your time. You've got the discipline. You put the time into networking, working with others, finding deals. What a great testament to what you could do in a very short amount of time. Thank you again for your time today. Thanks so much, Ash. Best ever listeners, thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this episode with someone you think you can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day.